out of Proverbs 2, um, 1 through 11. And Proverbs normally is just a bunch of tidbit. It's just a bunch of information. It's a bunch of bullet points. Each proverb stands on its own. Each proverb is not related to the next one, the following one, the previous one. But in Proverbs 2, um, this is a continual um, verse. And if you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen. Um, and I'm reading out of the New Living Testament. It says, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you and understanding will keep you safe. So I want to preach to you today from a sermon titled, The Value of Wisdom. If you would, let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for providing us a place to come and worship, Lord. We thank you for the wisdom that you give to us and, um, and all the things that you, that you just watch over and take care of us with, Lord. And Lord, we know that you're with us in this place today as we meet in your name. And we ask that our hearts are open and that our ears are open, Lord. Um, and Lord, I just pray that the words that come out of your mouth, um, out of my mouth, are your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the value of wisdom. Just a couple side things. One value of wisdom is that when I make my notes, I make them real big so I can see. Because... I have, when people ask me, are you nearsighted, are you farsighted? I'm like, yes. Um, if I take my contacts out, I can't see anything. When I put contacts in or glasses on, I can either see far away and not up close, or I can see close and not far away. So I've got both. I mean, I really am in that middle. And, of course, I try and play softball. Um, that has been erased since um, December when I hurt my foot. But um, so I wear contacts that are called multifocal and they've got where you can, where it dials in. And so I can see far away for the most part. It's just a little fuzzy. And I can see up close for the most part and it's just a little fuzzy. So wisdom on my part is to make the print big. Um, another bit of wisdom that I have is, um, as you guys notice, my wife Nancy is not here today. Um, and some of you that are here on Wednesday nights know that we recently, in a rash, just, I mean, boom, it happened real fast, was we had to move in with her dad and brother, who she's the caretaker of, and, um, and so we had to move in with them. And so um, you will probably see her less and less. Um, she's going to make it when she can, but we can't leave her dad by himself. Um, Years and years ago, Nancy worked at J.C. Penney's from 4 o'clock in the morning until noon, and she never came to church during that time. I mean, she couldn't. It was part of her job. Um, and for years, I had people think that I was single. 
So I'm just going to let everyone know right now, I'm not single. I'm not going to be single. My, my marriage is good. And um, if you don't see Nancy, it's not because she's mad at me. It's because she's taking care of her dad. Um, but I told her, great, you're not going to be here. I can use, some ex- use you as examples of wisdom. And she's like, no, you're not. So as having some wisdom in me, I will limit my wife what I have already said, and I won't use her as any more examples um, for the value of wisdom. So when I, was thinking, when I was looking at this, when God placed this on my heart to talk about wisdom, um, I was just thinking in general of just, let's go. Let's just talk about wisdom, what it is, what it isn't. And when I started looking at it close, it's like, well, you know, what is wisdom? Because we have several things within wisdom. I mean, it's, it's, there's earthly wisdom, which, you know, there's some common sense that goes with it. And then there's godly wisdom, which is what we really want to focus on today and talk about. Because how many people have you know, um, do you know that are just mean-spirited, hateful, unsaved, and yet they're at the top of the chart and they're making a gazillion dollars? And Well, they've got to have some sort of wisdom, but that's earthly wisdom. And what we want to look at today is godly wisdom. So if we look in Proverbs 2... Verse 7, it says, He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He grants his treasure of common sense to the honest. Well, there's people that are book smart and there's people that have common sense. There's some that have both, some that have neither. But common sense, common sense, when we're, I mean, I was just kind of thinking of some things. And, you know, if you're driving down the road, you can have the book smart to stay in your lane when you're driving down the road. But if someone on the opposite side of you is swerving and they're half in your lane, half off the road, half in your lane, half off the road, common sense is not for you to go, well, I'm right. I'm just going to stay in my lane. That is not common sense. We need to get off the road to get common sense. Well, when we look at godly wisdom, he gives us a bit of common sense to go along with, um, with what we're supposed to be doing. And part of all of this is righteous living um, when, we're, when we're talking about it. But when we, talk, when we talk about God giving us common sense, it's to the honest. It's when you're doing the right thing. It's when you're sincere, when you're honest. You're going to get common sense that just makes sense to be able to do the right thing. And he's a shield to those who walk with integrity. Integrity is part of your being honest. So God, in his godly wisdom that he gives us, and what is wisdom, God is going to give us a shield to those who walk with integrity. In Proverbs, in verse 9, it says, Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. So how many people believe that we know what's right, or that we are right, or that we're right all the time? Or that we're almost right all the time. I do, right? I mean, I had six chapters of a book written. And then I lost my computer, we moved something, and I didn't feel like going back and rewriting it. And the title of the book was 101 Ways to Eat a Chicken Wing. Okay? All that was is to make you read it, pick it up, make you read it. And in my book, and this... I probably couldn't write it today because I'm more humble and I, I know that I'm not always right. 
But in my book, I, had, I wrote about everything in life. And, of course, it started out with eating chicken wings. Because how many people, you know, here know that you can take a chicken wing and you can nibble on it like this and nibble it over there. You can stick your tongue through the little, you know, on the leg part of it. Or, or if you do it right, you can just grab the end of the wing and you got nothing, you got nothing but meat and nothing but bone left in your hand. Right? There's a right way to eat a chicken wing. How many people have eaten crawfish in here? Okay. I know when I moved to Louisiana, and I got a big appetite, when they set them, because really nice restaurants in Louisiana, you're going to find concrete floors, and you're going to find at least one member of the band playing the washboard. Okay? It's just the way it is. Nice restaurants in Louisiana, it's just as country as country can be. And just like, you know, so... I like to eat. Well, when you order all-you-can-eat crawfish, they don't like bring a plate out and then bring a plate out and bring a plate out. They come out, you know the dish tubs that they clean at the end of your dinner and they clean up? That's what they serve you in. They bring it, and am I telling the truth? Amen. She just came back from New Orleans. She just came back from eating crawfish. Tell me if I'm not right when I tell you how to eat them, all right? Because if you, if you don't agree with me, then I can out-eat you faster, all right? So... They bring these big tubs, and they just set them in the middle of the table. And you just reach in and get what you want. And you got to have the juice running down and, you know, the bib. If you don't bring it, Shannon brought an extra shirt when she went to eat crawfish, right? But here's what you do. Suck the head, not suck the head. That's all up to you. It ain't nothing. There ain't no brain in it. It's just spices. Adds a little bit spicier. But you take the crawfish. Do what you're going to do with the head. But then you take the tail, and you get a good, firm grip on the tail. And you take it and you put the top shell on top of your teeth right here and you shove it in so it starts to peel the shell back, right? Then you got to have tough gums, but this is the fast way to eat them, right? Because I got out eating. There was never any crawfish left when I, was, when I would go and eat. And my guys were, my, and I, as an employer, I'd take my guys out. They would out eat me all the time. Finally, one of them showed me. So you take the shell, you run it up in there like that. And you take your tongue and you stick it between the shell and the bottom so that you can clamp down, pinch at the same time, pull, and it's done just like that. There's no peeling. There's no picking. There's nothing. You just pick it up. Mm, mm, mm. I can eat 10 pounds of crawfish in about six minutes. And let me just let you know, the faster you eat, the more you can get in. Because they say it takes something like 20 minutes for your brain to say, oh, I'm full. So I can suck down about 10 pounds and get some dessert in before I start feeling like, oh, my gosh, that was just the horrible worst thing that I could do. So there's a right way. My book, that's where I was, had started, was how to do everything right. Because I thought I knew. I know how to eat crawfish. I know there's a right way to eat chicken wings. But... There's also, when you're first in line at the stoplight, there's a right way to do first in line at the stoplight. You got to be paying attention to the light. Right? Am I right? Um, when you come to a stop sign, first person on the right always goes. Um, I mean, you, you know, there's just some things in driving that you got to do to pay attention. Um, and I heard uh, George Carlin, so I, I won't repeat. For those of you that know him, I won't repeat the whole joke. But um, he said there's only two, drive, two types of drivers. One are idiots, and the others are a different word, right? And um, 
and he's like, it's, if someone goes by you, they're in blank. But if someone is trying to get by you, you're an idiot. So there's never any right way to drive, but there is. And I wrote it down in my book, and, you know, uh, unfortunately to everyone, that, that way is lost. Uh, just and fair. What is right, just, and fair. You're going to understand these things. This is what wisdom is. Wisdom is going to give you the ability to understand what is right, just, and fair. I didn't necessarily, like I thought I had the right way. I might in some of those, I might not in some of those. But I thought I had the right way. But was I always just? Maybe not. Was I always fair? Maybe not. But this is the godly things that the Bible is going to teach you is how to be right, to be just, and to be fair. And then you will find the right way to go. Now, those two verses, we can talk about things that are eh, what we see every day, the most common things every day. But if you look at James in 3.17, it says, But the wisdom from above is first is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So this is really when we get into godly wisdom. First of all, it's pure because it comes from God. It's right. Godly wisdom is always going to be the right thing, and it's going to be pure. But if we look at these things, it's peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, fruit of good deeds, all of these things. We're not in Corinthians, and we're not talking about love. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about what is wisdom. So, you know, if you've got someone that is always wanting to get in your face, if you've got someone that's wanting to yell, right, Jason? That's an inside joke between me, him, and softball. Um, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. Okay. How many of us are not willing to yield to others? How many of us, let's just say driving down the road. I I've used to be the guy that would do 90 and cut in at the last second. Okay, But now I drive along and I see some dude with a blinker. I slow down. I let him in. Because here's the reality of that. He's getting in. I've only seen one time in my life, and I'm kind of old, not as old as some others, but I'm kind of old. I've only seen one time in my life where a guy didn't get in. He was in a black BMW, it was on 295, he was heading for 95 South, and the traffic was backed up before all the road construction was done, it was backed up about two miles. He went by everybody, and he sat there, and every single car got three inches apart. And he kept doing this, and they're like, uh, uh, no way, dude, no way. He sat there so long, he finally turned and went on and went down Phillips Highway. Never seen that happen before. But here's the thing. People are going to do what they're going to do. And we can't change those people. And here's the thing. If you try to make them different and you try to engage and you try to get them to do your will, they're not going to do it. And if you try to do all these things, what's going to happen with you? 
you're going to get aggravated. All it's going to do is unsettle you. They're going to take your peace away. Why let somebody take your peace away when the wise thing to do is to just yield? It's full of mercy. Just open up and let them in. I mean, really, I look at... I was at, worked at Coca-Cola when I was really young and I was a driver. And one of the things that we did, we had a driving school and we watched this film. And they had two cars left at the same spot, ended up at the same spot. And it was like... 15 miles apart, it had a little bit of highway driving, a little bit of two-lane highway driving, and a little bit of residential driving. And these cars went the same route. And one guy broke every law he could. I mean, they set it up this way. They had cameras in the cars, and they set it up this way. And this dude passed in double stripes. Um, about the only thing he didn't do was go buy a bus with a stop sign out. I mean, he just did everything he could do to go as fast as he 90 down the highway, just blew by everyone. And the other person did 25 and a 25. And now, does anyone know how hard it is to do a 25 and a 25? The road I used to live on has about a three-mile stretch, straight, brand-new paved, wide, with a 25-mile-an-hour speed limit. And it's like, uh, you, it's like, I think I do 20, I don't think, I don't think my car goes just 25 for that long in a straight line, right? So, got off where I was going, fell asleep on myself right there. Um, but you're not going to change, you're not going to change these people. You're not going to, um, it's full of mercy. It's full of fruit of, of good deeds. And it's going to get you aggravated. If you get behind that person and you, or you don't let that person in, you're going to be fighting with them and you're going to take the peace away from yourself. So it's important. Wisdom is what we're trying to get here. What is wisdom? Full of mercy, full of fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And now, just because it says it shows no favoritism, that doesn't necessarily mean that one person is not going to get more than somebody else. I have employees. Some employees get treated different than other employees, but that's not that it's not that I'm not showing a favoritism. It's also going back to the previous verse where it talks about you're going to know what's right, just, and fair. Because if I've got an employee that's sloughing off and another one that's doing well, I'm going to treat them differently. Um, and I found that to be true when I worked at Roadway Express as a manager. And I would have union guys come to me all the time. And they were like, they were aggravated at me because I treated one guy different than somebody else. And I'm like, yeah, but he works harder. Well, that don't matter. We're all union. We're all going to be treated the same. But that's not necessarily right, just, and fair. So um, your favoritism means you can't just pick somebody and put them over someone else. You have to look at, and I tell my crew leaders this, you have to look at their performance not their perception. It doesn't matter if you like the guy or not. You have to look at the actual performance that's done versus um, what's, what you're thinking or what the perception is. And it's always sincere. Again, you have to be honest. And you want... Um, God's going to be a shield to those who are honest. And he's going to grant you that common sense. So that's basically what wisdom is that we're talking about and is godly wisdom. So if we look at the next thing is, okay, well, if that's wisdom, how do we get wisdom? 
if you notice when I started, when I was talking about wisdom, in one of the verses it used the word after. And when I was preparing this sermon, I noticed that it had um, after was, um, I used it first, and then I went back to the beginning. So when I'm talking here, I'm kind of like doing like a movie is, where it starts out um, in the middle, and then it goes back to the beginning. Because in Proverbs 2.2, 2, it starts out by telling you how to get wisdom. And, and, and then it will talk about what wisdom is. Um, but in 2.2, 2, it says, tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. So the first thing that we're supposed to do, to, and this is how we get wisdom, the first thing that it tells us to do is tune your ears to wisdom. So if pastor's up here, and I'll use him because I'd rather have him teaching you, pastor's up here, we're supposed to be actively listening. Okay? And you, everyone here knows, especially everyone here that's a parent, knows that there is listening and then there's actively listening. And Charlie Brown is the best way to show that because when the teacher's talking to Charlie Brown, it's wah, 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 wah. And that's what kids do to us, okay, as parents. But sometimes that's what we do, okay? I say we because I'm sitting down there. That's what we do when we're here listening to pastor. We get off into a zone and we're like wah, wah, wah. And all the while, God's trying to teach us wisdom. So when we come to church, we're supposed to actively listen so that we can gain wisdom that God is going to give to us. Because there's earthly wisdom that we can just get just day in and day out, just living our life. If we, can, we can live our life. We can be successful in, in business. We can be successful. In, we can have a 50-year marriage and not be saved. And that's not the wisdom that God's talking about. And the only way that you're going to get wisdom, the first way that you're going to get this wisdom is by listening. The other way, um, aside from coming to church on Sunday, because just coming to church on Sunday is not, is, it's not going to get you everything that you need. Okay? So listening, um, if we went out and we checked every radio station on all the cars that pulled into the parking lot, I, I don't even know the percentage. I would hate to guess on how many are listening to either Christian music or a Christian um, you know, talk. And you have to be careful. You have to review. You have to inspect. This is part of the wisdom that God would give you. Um, but there are, there are some preachers that are out there on um, some good radio stations that you can listen to. And I find that this was a big difference in my life um, is to start listening. When I go, when I leave the house at 6.30 in the morning or 7 in the morning, um, there's some pastors that I've looked into and looked at their beliefs and listened to what they say, and they preach the word, and they don't ask for money. So that's two good things right there when you're listening to pastors, whether it's TV or on the radio. If they're not asking for your money every day, and they're preaching the word, and it's not all feel good, it's not like, oh, this is really... I mean, but if they tell you, you, you can go to hell if you don't do what you're supposed to do, and you're not saved then you don't want to be listening to them. So I listen in the morning. I try and keep um, music that is attuned to praise and worshiping God. pastor says it all the time. If the only praise and worship that you get is right here, then you're not getting enough praise and worship. If the only hearing that you're getting is right here, then you're not getting enough listening. The other thing you have to do 
is it says, and concentrate on understanding. So if I might be a little bit fuzzy up here, you might have to look through that and concentrate to try and get what the Word of God is trying to tell us. We have to concentrate on what pastor's saying. We have to accept knowledge. Knowledge is a gift. We have to accept knowledge. Because how many do you know that if you tell your teenager something that's knowledgeable, they might not accept it, right? They might just decide to do their own thing. So you have to accept knowledge. You have to be willing to change. If I go onto a job site and I tell one of my guys to do something a certain way, they can either listen to me or they can not. But I know that I've put in about 4,000 fences, and I know I've been doing this for 15 years, and I know what I'm talking about. And so when I ask them to do something, I need them to listen to me. And then I do have an effect on them. You as parents should have an effect on your children. But you as children of God, you might, you know, there's no one, there's no one standing right there that's going to get on to you. But God tells you that you have to accept it, you have to listen, you have to understand knowledge. In verse 3, it says, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. So this is not just something that, I mean, obviously, just because you get saved, you are not going to just get wisdom. It's not going to just drop in your mind all of a sudden and go, wow, I'm saved and now I've got the wisdom, all the godly wisdom I need, my life is going to change overnight. That's just not going to happen. So you have to cry out for insight and ask for understanding. And in verse 4 it says, search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. So when I was looking at this, the search for them, seek them. This is an active thing that you've got to do. And so it brought me back to my high school and college days when we had book reports and term papers. And I remember in college, in our term papers, it was like 15 pages typed, and it had to have like 20 sources or whatever it was at the time. I'm so old I don't remember. But for me to talk about the subject, even if I knew something about it and it piqued my interest and it's something that I chose to do, I couldn't just type out 15 pages. Um, now, for me, I kind of I, I thought it was my own like personal blessing because I can write really, really, really small. And so most people, when they talk about having to have 15 pages typed, they got to write out about 30 pages, 28 pages, something like that. You know, for me, if I wrote seven pages. I'd get 15 typed out of that. Um, I got in trouble one time. I don't remember what I, I don't know why. It was just one time. But, <laughs> and do sentences, do they still do sentences in high school? You got to write 100 sentences or 50 sentences or whatever. They even do that for punishment? Man, back in my day, it was, you know, okay, you have to write a sentence. A bunch. And mine usually was, I will not talk in class. Okay? I got... If you can imagine, and I don't remember, I think it was 500 sentences I had to write. Not kindergarten, college rule. I got three sentences across, three sentences deep on every single line. I got nine sentences per line I wrote so small, and it was legible too. 
I turned it in on one front. And she's like, what's this? I'm like, that's all my 500 or however many she had me do. And she's like, that's just ridiculous. I mean, she's like getting her mic. So the point is, when you're on your research paper and you're doing your term paper, you, you have to go to the library. You have to seek it out, the knowledge. You have to go find books because sometimes you might find a subject and it's some obscure subject and you're going to be like, the, well, I'm going to do that because I want to be different. Well, you might be so different that there's only four books on it in the library. And if there's four books on it, you ain't going to have enough for your sources. So sometimes you might even have to change what you're going to do it on. But yours constantly, every day after school, and it was so frustrating for me because I played sports after school. So I would go to high school, I would play my sports, and then I'd go home and I'd eat. And by then it's like 7, 7.30 at night. I'd want to go to bed at like 9.30, and that left me like two hours. And I'd have to be rushing to the library. It was a struggle. But I had to, the only way I could do it was to put forth an effort that was way out of my comfort zone so that I could seek and I could search out as I would for silver, like they were hidden treasures. Although to me, doing a book report wasn't a hidden treasure. That's the effort that goes through. So when it says search for them as you would silver and seek for them like hidden treasures, don't you know that the treasure guide is right here? It's your Bible. This is the treasure. This is the seeking out. It's not the thousand books that have been written about the Bible or how-to or the two books that were left out that should have been included. Your treasures are right here. This is where you seek. The only way you're going to seek this out is if you spend daily time in your Word. Pastor's favorite three things. Read your Bibles, say your prayers, make good choices. Read your Bible. That is the seeking out that it is talking about. So if we're just here in on a Sunday, Scott, can you make it a little bit chillier in here? Is it me? Is it, is it warm? Okay. That was wisdom that kicked, that was wisdom that kicked in 15 minutes late because I was hot up here. I was afraid that no one else would be. Um, so seeking your treasures, you've got to get up in the morning or at night, you have to set time aside. And we talk about prayer time, but you got to have time for your word. Because if you don't get in your word, um, it, it, it's just like anything else. People that go to, um, people that are in their first year of law school, people that are in their first year of being a doctor, people that are in their first year of being in business school, people that are in their first year of college of anything, how many people here know that they have just enough knowledge to get them in trouble? Yeah? They, they, they don't really know everything that they're saying. And if they give you wrong law advo- advice, you might be in a lawsuit. They give you wrong medical advice, you might be dead. I mean, I, you know. Um, they have just enough knowledge to get them in trouble. People that come to church on just Sundays or just a couple times a month, you're gaining just enough knowledge to get you in trouble. Because you're going to hear some word, and you're going to go, man, that's good, and I like that. And then you're going to meet somebody that asks you. And the Bible says that you should have an answer for everything that we hope for. And it says that because it gives you the answer for everything that we hope for. Okay, But if you only come two, three times a month, and this is all you're getting 
is the, what the first one said, tune your ear to wisdom. If all you're getting is tune your ear to wisdom two times a month and you're not doing anything else, you are dangerous. Because you're going to talk with someone and you're either going to lead them the wrong way or they're going to be of a different faith and they're going to have more knowledge than you and you're going to look stupid. So the wisdom for God that he's given us is in this book and we are to search it out and seek it daily. And then in James 1.5, it says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So this is one of these things that God wants us to have. It tells us in the Bible that wisdom sits on the gate and calls out, tells you, come on in, come on in. And those that don't come in, those are the people with folly. Those are the people without understanding. The Bible says that a foolish man thinks himself as smart as seven wise men. So they're not going to pay attention to wisdom. But God's given us the answer. He's given us the answer for everything we need. We can live our lives by this book. And our lives will go good. And if we're honest and we're sincere, he's going to protect us. He's going to give a shield around us. And he's going to protect us. And he's going to give us things as we move through our life that are good for the wisdom that he has given us. And he's not going to be upset for you asking. He's basically, in one part, asking you to ask. And then he's telling you, look, I ask you to ask. I'm not going to rebuke you. Cry out for me. Search for me. So the verses that we've just looked at, those are things that we do when we're looking for wisdom. When we're looking for the wisdom that God has us search for. The next thing that we're going to look at is what the Lord does when we ask for these things. In Proverbs 2.6, it tells you, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Does anyone here know where his mouth is? We talk about this. What's his mouth? How does he speak to you? The Bible. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We know that when pastor talks about the three things, read your Bible, say your prayers, make good choices, those first two come out of a relationship. And a relationship is a communication back and forth between two people and you're, you're, you're talking about it. You can't have a relationship if I do all the talking and Nancy does nothing but living, uh, listening. And if you ask her, that's kind of how it goes. But that's not a true relationship. Sometimes I have to bite my lip, stop, and listen. And, and, and I do that. I mean, in, I don't know. I might be the only one. But... Have you, have you guys ever met a one-upper? You know what I'm talking about, a one-upper? Yeah? Okay, uh, that's me. <laughs> I, I guarantee I've been through enough things in my life that I can come up with a story after you tell your story. And then when you think of your, oh, well, I got one more. Well, I got eight more. Well, I can one-up you on any of them. So wisdom, amen, brother, with, only honest man in the group, wisdom will allow me to not one-up. I can think it, right? I'm like, that ain't nothing. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That is, I mean, 
I'd never heard anything like that in my life, other than the eight times that I just went through something like that. But wisdom will give you that knowledge, and it's that relationship, that back and forth that you have to listen. You can't be that one upper in a relationship. You have to listen. And so when from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, this is the wisdom that he's talking about when we are reading the Bible because then we're listening. That's his portion. Our portion we just went over. It's the cry out and ask for wisdom. That's us talking to him. So in this, in, in this one proverb that runs contextually, we are having a conversation with God. This is a back and forth thing. He's telling us, cry out, talk to me, pray to me. And then he's telling you, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, which is right here in the Bible. In Proverbs 2.10, it says, For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. It's this wisdom and this knowledge that you get that sometimes goes along with the common sense that I was talking about earlier. Do you know how much more joyful it is to just let someone have their way and not have your peace be taken from you? You, you can be filled with joy. And sometimes I can have a happy day and I can walk on a job site and I can look at my son who's a crew leader and I can just... Lose it all. All my joy is gone. I've ruined my whole day. When in reality, I already knew the answer of how to fix the issue. And what I could have done is just gone about it a different way. I could have just taken common sense. I could have done what it said earlier in the verse where it says with gentle and peace. And I could have just said, Andrew, why didn't we do it like this? Okay, well, what can we do now? And let's fix that. And I can still have my joy and my peace. You can still have your joy and your peace. If wisdom, and think about this. Think about you that are kind of like me, that sometimes get upset. And I'll say this. I don't get near as upset as I used to when I was young. Um, my, my wife tells me that I'm a lot like Pastor all the time. And Pastor will say that from up here, that I'm a lot like he is. I don't think he ever did this, but I don't know, because I don't, didn't know him when he was that young. But... Um, I had a, and I told this once my wife just hit the roof. When I was in college, I was married before. When I was in college, my wife put my hamburger together in the wrong order. The lettuce and tomato and onion and cheese didn't go in the right order, right? That hamburger hit the wall 20 feet away, right? That ruined my joy and my hamburger. And it probably ruined her day too. But that was lacking wisdom. That was a stupid thing to do. If I wanted the thing layered differently, I should have just opened it up and layered it differently. Right? That would be wisdom. You can't come at people with anger. Because when you come at people with anger and you come at people when you're upset, then your wisdom is going to be taken away. And your joy is going to be taken away. I just moved. I have a German shepherd. She's the most docile creature you have ever met. Um... She has never fought with a dog. As a matter of fact, um, a beagle will come up and nip at her, and she runs away. I mean, she just wants to play. She's the most docile thing. I just fenced in a little over an acre, and I have three drive gates that are open, 12-foot wide openings. And it takes three weeks for the gates to come in. So I've got openings. Well, she is trained 
not to go through a gate opening. That is crazy. We were building the fence, and we got, whatever, 100 feet. We had a gate opening and, like, another 100 feet. And she could be standing by this gate opening, and I could be on the other side of it, and I would call her to come to me, and she would run around the fence where it wasn't constructed yet and then come to the outside. She had no problem going on the outside. The first day I didn't, when, when I had one side of it left open and we were working on the last side, she would stay inside the yard. She'd come over to that side, just walk right by me out into the road and go see people and whatever else she wanted to do because it wasn't a gate, okay? When I got it up and I was done, when I'm done with my fence, minus my gates, I just let her out. I let her out unsupervised, and she, 20, 30 minutes later, she'll show back up. So I'm standing in my front yard, and I hear some dude, go get your dog. I'm like, oh, my gosh, did she run out the gate? I ran around the corner, and she's sitting down with her ears perked up about 30 feet from the gate. I mean, like, she's farther away than me and Jason to the gate. And this dude's walking this ugly schnauzer. <laughs> I'm sorry for anyone if, if anyone owns the schnauzer. But it was all black. It was just ugly. So sometimes schnauzers are cute. Uh, this is just ugly. And I'm like, I walk around the corner. I'm like, did she come out the gate? No, but she ran over here like she was going to attack. And I, I'm like, okay. I said, well, she was running over to play because if you got closer she'd play with you but I understand that she's a German Shepherd and is intimidating looking and I said but she didn't go through the gate did she well I don't know your dog and this dude just kept, and I'm like I'm, I'm trying to ease your mind um, and I've had two people that I told the story to and I'm not gonna get into the whole story but two people that kept telling me dude why were you so nice to that guy why were you so nice to that guy why were you so nice to that guy well number one if I wouldn't have been I might be in jail because I just gone out there and just whipped him. <laughs> Number two, um, it would have taken my joy away, right? If I'd have gotten into a yelling match, I'd have had to come in and then had to listen to my wife. Oh, I'm not supposed to talk about her. I'd have had to come in and listen to my brother-in-law um, <laughs> or my dad go, son, you shouldn't have been yelling at that guy. Now he's your neighbor. He's going to be your future neighbor. or He is your now new neighbor, and you're going to see him again, so you probably don't want to start out that way. So... He might still be the way he is, but that's him. You got to do what God lays on for you. And so I didn't, you know, I'm like, I understand, you know. And, and he's like, I don't think you understand what I'm, I, I, I do. And I'd let him speak. I wouldn't cut him off. And I'd be like, I, I do understand. And I said, I, you know, I had a conversation with you yesterday while we were here. Well, I thought you were just the contractor. I didn't know you were living here. And I'm like, well, I, I am. And I just want to let you know she's docile. Well, I don't know that dog. I'm like. I understand. I'm just trying to put your mind at ease. So by the time I walked into the house, and I did, I've had several people like, why are you so nice? Because when I walked into the house, I had joy. I was fine with it. You know, I tried to be nice to the guy. Um, he hadn't walked back by there because I hadn't put my gates in yet. And that's him. So he can either choose a different route or he can come by. And when he comes by, I'm going to talk to him again. I'm not going to let his, the way he acts, upset my joy. Because knowledge is going to fill you with joy. Okay? If we get wisdom. So that's um, what is wisdom and what we need to do to get wisdom. So the next thing I'm going to look at is three things that we can do with wisdom. 
first thing that we can do, is that signaling time for me to wrap it up? <clears throat> the first thing that we can do with wisdom is we can ignore it. We can do nothing with the godly wisdom that we're given. You can be drugged to church here by somebody, and you can sit out here, and you can gain wisdom, gain knowledge. You can read your Bible. Um, if you're reading your Bible, you're probably not in that same category, but you can look at it. You can listen to people. Um, you can ride with me in my truck, and if you're in my truck, you're getting tuned in whether you normally listen to Metallica, rock and roll, country, or anything else, you are going to be getting tuned in to either a sermon or to, a, um, to music. I picked up a guy on the side of the road one time who was thumbing the Pensacola. And Pensacola is, um, now I was born here in Jacksonville, NAS, but at three my dad moved to his last duty station, which was Pensacola, so I, that's where I grew up. I call that my hometown still. And this guy was hitchhiking to Pensacola. It was Friday evening. I was only going down like a couple exits. And <clears throat> so we got to talking and I asked him where he was going. He told me Pensacola. I said, well, look, dude, I have a camper at my yard that's currently empty. And I said, if you're not opposed to me buying you some dinner, sleeping in my camper, um, and then going to work with me the next day, I guess this was a Thursday night, and going with, to work with me the next day, because I was doing some repair stuff on my own, some warranty work on my own, I said, I will put you up, feed you, I'll pay you a day's wage for tomorrow, and then I'll take you all the way to Pensacola. And this was on the coldest night of the year. It was 26 that night, which is, for Jacksonville, really cold. And so he accepted my offer. That was a wise thing for him to do. But when we got in the car the next day, and it was six hours to Pensacola, I had, let's see, how many sermons of Pastor Scott would I need to get to Pensacola? Three? <laughs> no, I had about five sermons, and we listened, and that's what it was. I was popping Pastor Sermons in the, in the uh, CD player all the way, and I told the guy, dude, you ride with me, and you're going to get ears, because you're going to be tuned in to getting some wisdom. Now, what he did with that, I don't know. I was just planting seed, and I was just throwing the wisdom out there. I don't know what he did. So the bottom line is we can be attuned to wisdom. We can have wisdom pushed our way. Teenagers get wisdom pushed their way all the time. Um, but if we take and we ignore godly wisdom, then we can just die and go and rot in hell. It's that simple. If we just completely ignore God's wisdom, you might as well not show up at church because you're going to go to hell if we don't get godly wisdom. The second thing we can do is we can ignore it after we gain the knowledge. In other words, we can come to church and we can try to live as a saved person and we might even be saved. The pastor said many times, the hardest person in this world today living is a person that actually got saved but is not doing the things. He's not picking up the book, he's not gaining the wisdom and he's trying to live one foot in the world and one foot in heaven and that's the hardest thing that you can do. You can't live as a saved person in an unsaved world and try to live both ways unsaved and saved. You have to serve one master, and that's it. And so this is where I kind of debated on whether to say this or not, but I am because this is the truth. And that is this category, the 
saved um, or gain the knowledge. Just leave out the saved for a second. Gain the knowledge and then choose not to do anything with it. And that is where the Bible, through the parable of the sower and the seed, says that three-fourths, three out of every four people that call themselves Christians are not really Christians. They might try to live like they're saved. They might be a good person. They um, might come to church, and I, I've given this example before. Before I got saved, I went to an Episcopal church in Louisiana, and I would show up about three Sundays a month, and I thought that was great because I only missed one. Now, I only missed one Sunday. What else they want me to do? And when they sat down and, like, we're doing the budget for the year, and we need to, you know, talk about tithing so that we can set up our budget. Because some churches do that. We don't here. Um, we tell you to give if, if, it's, if it's on your heart. I mean, the Bible says give. So if you're going to have the wisdom um, and the knowledge of what the Bible tells you to do, then you're going to be throwing 10% in at least. And then it tells you to give offerings. So you're going to do that too. So, um, but some of these churches, you go around and they sit down. They're like, well, we got to figure out our budget for the year. And so they asked me. They said, um, well, now we know that you... Um, don't come every week and so what we want to do is look at um, you know something that would be comfortable for you so would you consider you call me Cheryl you call you're all right they said now get this because everyone here should know that a, a tithe means 10% they said would you like to tithe to start out at 3% so that we can get a fixed budget now, I didn't know what tithe, I thought tithe was just kind of like what you give to God. I didn't realize that it was 10%. Again, I didn't have, I mean, I was smart. I had a college degree. Um, it wasn't in tithing. So I didn't, you know, I didn't understand that that meant 10%. So when they said, would you like to tithe 3%, I'm like, sure, I'll tithe 3%. And then I tithed 3% every time I came of what my check was that I just got. And then I would give 3% of that. Um, which how many people do you, you know if you're not here every Sunday then you probably that 3% fell to like you know 1.8 1.7 whatever so I wasn't even tithing my 3% which is a mathematical impossibility so but the point is I thought I was doing good I was one of the better standing members of the church because I came I only missed about one Sunday a month and I was one of the better standing members. And I would usher. And, you know, we would do communion at the altar. And I got to be one of the dudes that stood up in the middle. And stepped back. Yep. And then stepped back. Yep. And so I thought I was something because I was visible in the church. But God's not looking for people that are visible in the church. That's not the wisdom. That's not anything that God imparts on you. Standing up here right now is not something that I want to do or that I would choose to do. I will if God calls me, which is why I'm here today. And I believe that he uses me at times to step in when pastor's not here. And I believe he uses Keon to step in at times when pastor's not here. But that's not what he's called us to do. And we have the wisdom. Keon and I both have the wisdom to know that I'm not trying to take over. You don't have to worry about that. I ain't trying to take in. I'm not trying to fill his shoes. I'm not trying to fill in the steps. I have the wisdom the knowledge to know that God has humbled me enough to be a servant, to allow him to allow me to step in here. So that's the wisdom that God's given me. 
But three out of four people don't have that wisdom. They're like I was in the Catholic Church. I'm in good standing. I come three times a month and I give 2.6% of what I make. And it's consistent, so I'm good, right? Unfortunately, three out of the four people that call themselves Christians in the world today are not saved. That's a sad reality. That's a sad fact. Now, I would like to think, and it's probably true because we're the week after Easter, and so all the people that don't come every Sunday are not here. But I would like to think that most of the people in this room are saved. And I would like to believe that most people that attend church and that go to church regular, I would like to believe that because there's a whole lot of people that haven't been to church in 20 years and you ask them and it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, pastor will run into somebody he hadn't seen in 10 years. And I, where are you going to church? Oh, abundant life, man, you're my pastor. What? Really? So this is the, they were exposed to it. They were exposed to the wisdom. They were exposed to the knowledge. And although they call themselves a Christian because it's something that's desirable to have, they don't seek out and they don't attain it, and therefore they're not granted the wisdom. So the last thing I want to look at of what we can do with wisdom is we can embrace godly wisdom. So if we look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17... It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Stop at the punctuation. Let the message about Christ. That is the most wisdom that you can gain from anything involving God and Christ. Anything about the Christian religion is let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Because if you understand that Christ died for each and every one of us here, he died for each and every one of our sins. And you have to understand that, and it's hard in the human mind, it's hard to understand that, well, we're going to do something five days from now that's a sin, and I'm not going to mean to do it, but God is going to forgive me. Not only is he, but he already has. It's where we can't grasp that in our minds. Is he's forever in the future and he's forever past. So he already knows our sin. And you could ask most of the people in this room, hey, if this opportunity came open to you, an opportunity to do, quote, this sin or whatever it is, that you might have a weakness or you might have a fleshly desire for, if you're asked, in five days, are you going to do this? You would probably say, well, no, man, I'm not going to do that. But how many people here know that sin is something to be tripped up on? Sin is something to be tripped up on. And the Bible clearly states, it is clear, that you are not to live this lifestyle when it talks about sin. So, and, and I use... Just because I've had people in my lives, in my own um, relatives, in my own life, that I have seen this, is if you are an adulterer and you have an apartment set up for her and you have 
a cell phone that's separate for her. And this is a regular meeting and you live this lifestyle. Then you have to do what Paul says and examine yourself. Because you're probably not saved. And I know the female on one of the ends of these affairs that refused to give up her family because she was in the hierarchy of the church that they were in and it would ruin her life. Because everybody around her church looked up to her. She was an executive in a Fortune 500 company. She made a lot of money. She went to church. She donated way above the 10%. She did everything that God told her to do, but she had this 20-year running relationship while she was married to another married man. That woman and that married man, that's a lifestyle. They didn't just slip up and have an apartment rented for them. Right? That's a lifestyle. Both those people have to examine themselves because both those people probably are not saved. Because although salvation doesn't come with works, in James it says that if you are saved, your works will show your faith. You only have to have faith. That's all it takes. But because of your faith, you will have works. And the Bible says you're not going to live this lifestyle. So if we, you know, if, if someone goes out and they run into some old friends, and how many people know that peer pressure is probably, you know, peer pressure is peer pressure. That's a real thing. If you get talked into doing something because of peer pressure, and let me just tell you, Peer pressure is not just for teenagers and high school and college kids, okay? I have a guy, I call him my best friend, and he wins 9 out of 10 of the things that, we, that he wants to go do. The one thing I haven't given in yet is golf because golf takes up four hours of a Saturday, and I only have one day a week with my wife because Sundays we give to God. Saturdays is for family. And this dude, you talk about peer pressure, I'm 57 years old. He's 55. And yet, it's like, come on, man, come on, man, come on, come on, come on. Now, granted, I don't give in to sin. These are just things, you know, of let's stop and get something to eat. And I know that my wife's got dinner sitting on the table. And so I was like, oh, honey, the ball game ran a little bit later. Well, he just, he just peer pressured me into sin. I lied to my wife. You guys aren't supposed to say that now, right? When she comes back. When she comes back, right? So I just lied to my wife, and I ate dinner, and then I go home. And I eat again because I'm not going to let her know, and I can do that. Right? I don't know how many people can sit down and eat two dinners or three, but I can do that. Matter of fact, I'll just tell you a little secret, and if my wife says this, I'm going to know it came out of this room. But every afternoon about 3.30, 4 o'clock, when I come home to Backway to Green Cove Springs from St. John's County, there's a little grocery store over there. You may know it, you may not, called Weedman's Groceries, and they've got a deli in there. And if you come in in the afternoon... I love fried chicken. If you come in in the afternoon, anything they got left, they come in, she goes, what, what would you like? And I know the answer. I don't know what, what's going on. Well, I'm about done. She goes, I'll load you up. I'm like, load me up. I walked to the counter the other day. I had six chicken wings, not the little, not the little buffalo wings. I'm talking about the whole wing, you know, the quarter of the chicken whole wing. I had six chicken wings and as much corn nuggets as you could stuff into a box for $2.49. So I, I know better than to go in and ask for it. Well, give me the two-piece order, you know. It's like, 
you know, when, what do you want? Well, whatever you can do for me. Right? I know that. And then that's at like 4.30. And I get a 44-ounce drink to go with it. And then as soon as I walk in the door, baby, dinner's ready. Okay, I'm ready to eat. There you go. Right? Well, I can do that. So, uh, let's get back to God. I don't know how I got to that, but don't tell my wife. In all its richness, this is the story about Christ. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. And then the next is so important. This next thing of what we do with godly uh, wisdom is so important. It says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. This is your wings. This is your man up. This is your morning Bible study with a spouse. Or this is your lunch Bible study with a friend at work that you found as a Christian and you can come and you can share. Because pastor used to say, when he, after he first got saved, they would meet together, they would all sit around, and they would come up with nuggets of things. Hey, did you see this? I, I just read this. This is so cool. And Nancy and I still do that. We still do that in the morning. It's like, did you read that scripture? Yeah, I just, I'm right there. And it's like so cool. So here's the thing is God is telling us with the godly wisdom that we get, he's telling us to teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. The next thing we're supposed to do is sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual, gods, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So if we're aggravated about that dude cutting in, we're not going to have that joy and we're not going to have that thankful heart. If we just let the guy in, you can thank God that you didn't have an accident. Fender bender, spinning out, right? But sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. So I was thinking about, um, and I'm going to try and wrap this up. I, in my mind, I'm like, man, I don't have enough to say today. We're going to get out of here at quarter till. Um, that's not true. So sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. My wife likes to watch like Little House on the Prairie and... Um, What's the wind calls the heart and stuff like that. And in those old pioneer type shows, they always ring the bell for the church. Everybody goes to church. And it's probably 20, 30 people because it's real small and they just get the extras that are walking by on the street, whatever. It's real small, but man, the singing. You got one little old lady playing a, a piano and the singing. It just fills the whole place. And I'm thinking, man, that's what we should do. If everybody in here raised your voice and sang songs to God and sang spiritual songs and you really appreciated what God did for you and you came in here with the praise for God, then it would be a beautiful thing. We wouldn't have to turn that speaker up so loud that I can't hear myself sing when I'm right here. We would drown each other out and you wouldn't know, but it's beautiful to God's ears. And he tells you to do this. This is what, if you get God's wisdom, this is one of the things you're going to do. You're going to have the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that you're to sing these songs to God with praise. And then I also had the thought that in real life, back in the day, it was probably two ladies singing and the rest of the dudes were like, in those pioneer houses. But I love that little, because they're all just, blah, blah. and some of them people, they might be actors, but there's no singers. But they're singing to God, and that's how we should be singing. And that's what God tells us, is to sing songs and hymns and spiritual thong, songs to God with thankful hearts. In Titus 2, 11, 15 through 15, and I'm going to end with this, and I'm going to try and be short on this. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Just hold right there for a second. 
The grace of God has been revealed. Just remember, it's not your works. I've said that. It's not your works. It's not the, well, I'm better than him or I'm better than her or if I don't do these things, I'll be saved. It is not your works. It's simply the grace of God. It's the grace of God that gives you the faith to be saved. The grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this world, in this evil world, with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. We're instructed by God. The wisdom that He gives this, we are supposed to take this wisdom and live in this evil world. And the Bible tells us we are only in this world. We are not of this world. This is not our home. This is not where we want to end up. We want to end up in heaven with God for eternity. So we are, if we gain this wisdom and we use this wisdom, we are going to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. And we are going to live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion. And when we do these things, and we live with righteousness, and we have the common sense that God gives us, and we have the wisdom that God gives us, we are going to be fulfilled. It t he tells you this. We just looked at it. You're going to be filled with joy in this life. We can be joyous in this life even though this is not our true home. Next verse says, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. And Lord, I'm, I, I'd like to not make it home today, to be honest with you. I'd love for God to come down on the way home just this very day. But if not, I don't want to be stupid about the rest of my life. Next. I'm getting to 15. Um, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed, doing good deeds. And let's go ahead and go to 15 so we can wrap this up. I love this right here. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. Does it say encourage unsaved folk to do them? No, because they're living in this world. We want to teach and encourage each other. We want to do wings. We want to do man up. We want to do Bible studies with our spouses. We want to do Bible studies with our friends. We want to um, meet up with friends and play cards and go, oh, by the way, I read this. We want to teach and we want to counsel and we want to encourage believers that when they're doing right things. And men, and ladies probably too, men you should probably have an accountability partner. You know, Especially if you know you might go a little off the wires, uh, rails every once in a while. You know, you need to have someone that you can truly trust that's just like man up, that's not going to go between you and him, that you can say, this thought process went through my mind. And you can get with that person and have them encourage you to do the things that are right. Because how many of you know that when we talk about being tripped up in sin, it's impulse sin that happens. We get into a situation and we make that decision right then, and then we regret it later because the Holy Ghost convicts us if we're truly saved. But... If we would just put the brakes on and go, okay, I'm going to hang on a second and I'm not going to commit that sin. And we just put the brakes on for about 30 minutes or three days or three weeks. We're probably not going to go through with that sin. So if you have an accountability partner, you can call and go, hey, man, I just had this wild idea. They're going to go, eh, 
put the brakes on, stop. But you have to have the wisdom to be able to do that. And then the last thing, you have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. My uncle, a few years ago, like 10, 12 years ago, um, I was saved, but I was in that dangerous place. I just started reading the Bible, just gotten saved. And he goes, well, you know, and I don't remember what we're talking about, but in, irregardless. He said, well, you know, you, the, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge others because you know the prostitute, and Jesus said, don't judge. And I was naive, I didn't have the wisdom to go, ah, yeah, you're right, probably shouldn't judge others. When in reality, Christ expects us to judge others. Now, he does tell us you can't correct somebody when you got a log in your own eye and you're worried about getting the splinter out of theirs. And what he's telling us is that we have the ability to judge, and it says that we are to bring them back lovingly. That's a whole other sermon on a different day, but the Bible says to bring those back lovingly. And we're supposed to do it. We're, we, we are. We are called to keep our brethren within ourselves. All right? But it says, it doesn't, and, and this, I love this right here. And I told my wife this morning, I said, man, the very last sentence on the very last thing that I looked at when I was studying for my sermon was the answer to his question when he said, well, you ain't supposed to judge. Yes, it is. Don't let anyone disregard what you say. If you're prayed up and you've read up and you have had the relationship with God, that personal relationship back and forth where you've listened to him and he's listened to you and you have that relationship and you read your Bible Say your prayers. You make good choices. God protects you. He gives you integrity. He gives you the wisdom that you're supposed to do. And you are in a righteous standpoint. Don't you let anybody disregard what you say because you are giving the word and you are trying to impart the wisdom onto them. You are trying to impart the wisdom onto them. And here's the biggest thing. The biggest wisdom at all is you have to have the answer. The Bible tells you this. You must have the answer to the things which we hope for. And the only way we're going to have the things which we hope for is to read this Bible, to gain the wisdom. But when you do that, more important than just for you, when you have that answer of our hope, of what we're hoping for, you're going to be able to impact somebody's life that's not saved. And We've been talking about Christians here, but it's the knowledge and the wisdom that God gives us that is going to allow us to either bring someone to Christ or to sow the seed. And that's what we are called to do by Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the relationship that you, I mean, you're the creator of all of earth. And yet you allow us to have a relationship with you. You allow us to talk to you. You allow us to listen to you. Lord, you even tell us just to be silent and know that you're God. And Lord, we just ask that everyone in here has the desire to reach out for the wisdom that you give to us. Because you give it to us. We have it. It's right here for our ability. It's right here. The wisdom is right here. But sometimes we just don't have the ability to reach out and grab your gift so Lord we just ask the strength and the courage and the knowledge that we might 
seek out. That we're not afraid to ask you for the wisdom. And that in your book, that we will find in your word, in your speaking to us, that we find the wisdom. And that we have the ability to accept it and the knowledge to know when we're wrong, when it teaches us things that we don't do in this earthly world, that we have the ability to accept it. And Lord, we just thank you for allowing us to cry out and ask for this wisdom because this is the wisdom that you give that not only will save us, but it will allow us to live a joyful and peaceful life, Lord. Because we know that our desire is to be home with you one day and to be in heaven and live with you for eternity. But you've got us on this earth right now. And while we're on this earth, I just ask, Lord, that every Christian seek the wisdom that would allow them to live a peaceful and joyful life. Lord, I now ask that as we make our way homes today after service, that you protect each and every one of us and our brothers and sisters, Lord, that we make our way home safely and that we can live to glorify you and to give you praise and to give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.